0: I thought that if I was perfect, I'd be happy. If I put all those notches on my belt, that would bring me joy. And what I was so confused about is when I had it all together, why was I still so miserable?
1: This is Claire Wasserman, the founder of Ladies Get Paid, a career development platform that helps women negotiate for pay and power at work. If you don't know us, shame on you. Go to ladiesgetpaid.com backslash join to get access to our private online network where more than 30,000 women from all around the world are sharing advice, jobs, resources, and more. It's free, so you have no excuses. Today, I am so incredibly excited to be talking to Rashma Sarjani, the founder of Girls Who Code, a national nonprofit organization working to close the gender gap in technology and change the image of what a programmer looks like. And prior does. to that, Rashma was a lawyer. She worked at a hedge fund uh, and served as the deputy public advocate for New York City. Uh, she was also the first Indian American woman to run for Congress. Uh, so if Rashma's name sounds familiar, it's because in 2016, she gave a TED talk called Teach Girls Bravery, Not Perfection. It has an astonishing 4,107,361 views. There's so many numbers there, I probably didn't even get all of them, (laughs) and it's going up as we speak. Uh, And so Reshma also published a book called Brave Not Perfect, Fear Less, Fail More, and Live Bolder. Hi, Rashma. Thanks so much for being here. Hi, Claire. Thanks for having me. Okay, so I want to start with the TED Talk. Mm. Uh, what is it like to do one? Oh, my God. And were you nervous?
0: So nervous. So I basically got asked to do it a couple more months before I had to give the talk. So I was freaking out. You know, as a public speaker, like TED is like the Super Bowl of talks. Like you get one shot and you better bring it. And so because I was scared, like my first instinct was just to like give my stump speech. Like what I say normally. But I kind of like, all right, look, I'm not going to get this opportunity again. Like, let's dig deeper. And writing that speech was probably one of the most painful things that I had like ever done because I just had to dig deep and it wasn't right and blah, blah, blah. And like I, and I had, was putting so much pressure on myself about what I wanted to say. Um, but yeah, it was one of the most amazing experiences kind of of my life.
1: When you decided not to do the regular stump speech, yeah. as you
0: said, was it obvious to you what you would talk about? No. I I I started just like free form writing. Like, and I had a bunch of different ideas and thoughts that I wanted to say. And actually what ended up happening is two weeks before I was supposed to give the talk, I invited a bunch of friends and family and people here at Girls Who Could to watch me give my talk. And I think I had 16 minutes to deliver the talk. And you feel like, oh, well, I'm going to use every single minute for that. And I remember like, you know, doing a practice run and it just wasn't clicking. And I had a friend in that stage and he was like, wait, there's, there's, there's a part of your speech that really moved me. And it was the brave, not perfect piece.
1: Mm.
0: Don't give the 16 minutes, cut it down to eight and focus on that idea. And I took his advice and he was right. Wow. Um, I'm curious,
1: how have you dealt with your own perfectionism? This oh, is
0: me assuming, you know, that you huge. have struggled with it. Look, I look, I was a, you know, the daughter of immigrants. You know, I was wanting to make my parents happy, like every you know, do everything. So I did everything right. I went to got all the right grades I was supposed to get, went to the right schools, worked at the right places. And and I talk about this in my book, Brave Not Perfect. I thought that if I was perfect, I'd be happy. Mm-hmm. If I put all those notches on my belt, that would bring me Joy. And what I was so confused about is when I had it all together, why was I still so miserable? And I was working, you know, as a lawyer in finance at a job I hated. I always knew from the time I was a little girl that I wanted to serve. And I just was doing like the opposite, you know what I mean, of public service. And like I was I was just losing my shit. And like as it happens, my best friend calls, and that normally is happening, right? When you're like losing your mind, your best friend calls. And kind of gives you the permission to do what you wanted to do, which was quit. And um, I quit. And I decided to run for Congress in this race that I probably had no shot of winning. But it was like the best decision of my life. Um, So that brings me to my next question, which is about you running. So
1: you were 33 Mm -hmm. when you ran for Congress. Yep. Why?
0: Well, I've always had a deep love for this country. You know, my parents came here as refugees. This country literally saved their life. And I grew up with my father, like, sitting me on his lap and reading to me about Dr. King and Mother Teresa and Mahatma Gandhi. So I had this very kind of, I don't know, I'm very wide-eyed and eager about change-making. Like, I do believe that, like, all I want to do is make a difference. And I know as I sound that, that sounds so like, you know, like cheesy, but it's true. And I've always been that way. And I have this very romantic view about, ironically, politicians, that the way to make a difference was kind of like John F. Kennedy style, right? Um, move people through public service. And and, and so that's, the, that's always what I thought that I would do. And that would be the way that I would make a difference.
1: Um, so I know you raised a lot of money yeah. doing that it's uncomfortable to yeah. ask for money. I know that's something that yeah. a lot of women and ladies get paid struggle with. Do you have
0: any advice? Yes. Uh, because you had to ask so many times. Well, I was had been working in politics since I was 18. So I was raising money for candidates before this. I had actually gotten practice through politics and asking people for money. I'd raised money for John Kerry when he was running for president. So by the time it got to me running it wasn't so hard for me, so I always tell people whether you're raising, whether you're Girl Scouts and like trying to, you know, sell your cookies, or you have a lemonade stand. Like as young as you possibly can be, get comfortable asking other people for money mm-hmm. to invest in you or to invest in your ideas.
1: So I know that you lost, yes, miserably, um, which is something that you talk about in your TED talk, and I'm, I'm assuming you mentioned yeah your book. Um, how did you pick yourself up after that?
0: So I think like my hack on that is I, you know I spent about a month drinking a lot of margaritas and like asking my boyfriend who was now my husband over and over again what happened yeah. and like replaying it in my head. Mm-hmm. And then after a month I was like, "Oh wait, like I'm not dead." Mm-hmm. Like I'm not, you know, like I, I, it was a in a sense weird but it's a real eye opener that like I failed and it didn't break me. Mm-hmm. And I was kind of like, "Okay, I'm not going to keep spinning in my mind." And asking myself the same thing and replaying it and living in that, I'm going to put it away and I'm going to start planning my next run, my next idea, my next thing.
1: Mm-hmm. So how long after you lost, did you figure out what was the next step for you?
0: I think very quickly after. In terms of like, I, I, it was clear to me I wasn't going back to the private sector. Okay. I had put enough of a dent in my student loans and had kind of gotten the permission from my immigrant family to like live my dream mm-hmm. that I was like, okay, like- I'm gonna and I sat down and I said, okay, but all the things that I saw, like what moved me, and it was really this issue of girls and technology. So I got a, this. Is what I was asking you about when we were talking earlier about how you started, you know, your business. I got my job, deputy public advocate, and then I had my side hustle, which was Girls Who Code. So every night I would come home and uh, or during lunch hour or in the morning. I would started thinking about well, if I were to create an organization or a movement or whatever, or just a pilot program to teach girls to code, what would it look like? And so I would have breakfast with like PhDs in computer science or people who worked in technology or teachers. And I just learned everything there was to learn about this issue. And it took me about two years until I was really ready to say, aha. You know, I mean, this is the idea.
1: But why girls and coding? What about that move to you?
0: I mean, I look, I've always, I have i led my first march when I was 13. I've always been working on women and girls issues from the time that I can remember. I've been an activist on women and girls. And I've always cared about economic opportunity because of my own situation. I've had a job since I was 12 and I've seen people, I've seen my family be able to march into the middle class because of education. And so I wanted to do, I I, I wanted to see those two together. And at that moment in 2010, if there was any other, if there's any topic or any issue that was going to help girls basically get into the middle class and crash through a glass ceiling, it was tech. Mm -hmm. Like it was clear it was tech. And it was also clear that girls weren't there. Right. Right. Do you code? I did not code when Ow. I started. Or Isn't that crazy? Yeah. And that's a thing. It's so, I mean, now I've learned because uh, we as a team, you know, do like bi- bi-monthly uh, coding sessions. But, you know, it didn't even phase me that I wasn't a coder. It's weird actually. No, it wasn't so- until years later where I was like, F, like someone could ask me some like really hard <laughs> question about like HTML. And I, I really, you know, and I yeah. started feeling that imposter syndrome, yeah. but I didn't feel it in the beginning.
1: Yeah, yeah. Uh, so I was not good with money. I mean I wasn't irresponsible. Right. I just But I you was weren't afraid. like a financial
0: expert. No right? not
1: a financial expert. I had fear around money. I never negotiated for yeah. my job because I assumed I couldn't. You know. So I, I made a lot of the classic mistakes, but I started Ladies Get Paid because I needed Ladies Get Paid. Yeah. And I started it with a lot of empathy. Yeah. So I think, you know, for everybody yeah. who's listening, you don't need to be an expert to no. start something. You just need to be insanely curious about it yeah, uh, and willing to make some sacrifices in your life to get there. yeah,
0: And passionate about it. I mean, this is a, honestly, this is the thing I think that men have always figured out. You know, my friend Jack Dorsey started Square and he said, you know, I was just passionate about the credit card industry. Like, about why, you know, how I was like in some foreign country and wanted to buy something and the guy, you know what I mean, I didn't have any cash. Mm -hmm, mm I was like, this is a weird problem. Like, this is like, and I I think that we think that we have to be experts in the thing before we even started Mm -hmm. and that's, not true.
1: I think, I think the way I would describe it is we have to have participated and experienced the problem. Right. Right. With, you know, Jack realizing, oh, I can't, I can't, purchase this thing, I'm realizing that I've never negotiated. Right. Right. You're seeing this need, you know, of marginalized girls not being able to break through the glass ceiling. And you deeply feel the problem. Right. And I think that's all that you need to get it started.
0: And it's passion. I mean, I think far too often I talk about this in my book, it's like, you know, we just talk ourselves out of our best ideas because Mm -hmm. we think that we couldn't, shouldn't, wouldn't. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I this is why I always say take one step. And I, with Girls Who Code, I just took one step and then another step and then another step and then another step. And I was like, oh, oh, I can't go back. I mean, like, (laughs) gotta do, gotta try this. Yeah. And then I was like, holy crap. Like, this is it. This is magical.
1: Yeah. What are, what's the one thing or a few things that you're most proud of uh, that you've done either in your life or through Girls Who Code?
0: I mean, Girls Who Code and writing this book are the two things that, and having my son are the <laughs> He's three the things. No. <laughs> no, he is actually number one. Yes. But he is number one too because that didn't come easy to me uh-huh. and I didn't give up. Yeah. And like, and I and I think that none of these, nothing comes easy to me. It's, mm-hmm. And we were reminiscing even when we started Girls Who Code, like, yeah, it was a little bit of unicorns and rainbows in the beginning, but we always had to push. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, we always, we didn't have some celebrity say, go girls learn how to code. We didn't have, 10 million dollars show up in our bank account like we always had to fight and push Mm -hmm. um and and i think that like in many ways that's like the story of my life but that's why when it does work out and it does move people i mean girls coding is part of the lexicon in Mm -hmm. 2010 it, it was not absolutely and um you know it shocks me i can't go anywhere like disney world I can't run a marathon. I can't go to a wedding without one of my students being like, Mr. Johnny, it's me. I yeah. was, you know, I'm in the Girls Who Code Club in like, you know, like Kansas. You know, I was in this summer program in like in Nebraska. I mean, they're everywhere. Oh I'm God. like, you're everywhere. Like yeah. They are literally everywhere. <laughs> and uh, it's magical. And uh, and I'm very, 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 very grateful. hmm because I know like when I'm like 90 years old, like one of them is going to win the Nobel mm-hmm. Peace Prize or, you know, it's just the world is going to look really different. And how often in your life do you get to say, I helped create an idea and change the world? Yeah.
1: Yeah. That's, uh, that reminds me of something that we've done at Ladies Get Paid. Uh, there was a woman who came to the second workshop that I ever organized, uh, which was about getting unstuck in your career. Uh, and she hated her job. Hated her job. She knew she wanted to get out of it, but didn't know how. She ends up hiring the career coach, getting involved with Ladies Get Paid, volunteering, and then a year later, we hosted a town hall called Reinvention. So it was about rethinking not just what you do, but who you are, and and making sure that what you do is aligned with the values that you have. And and she, you know, it was 150 women, and this this woman stood up, and she said in front of everybody, you know, that she has always wanted to run for office. You know, she's always been civically engaged. But she said, women like me, women who look like me don't run. Right? And this is a woman of color. Uh, and she said, but I, I'm going to do it. And I, I cried. I mean, people in the room were yeah. crying just because we knew, we knew something special had happened. When yeah. somebody gets up and publicly declares in a, a big intention like that, the moonshot, but you could tell she was going to do it. And, and she could maybe win. I mean, the odds were yeah. totally against her. And... And it was Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. Oh, my God. It's AOC. Now, I went to college with her and she's my friend. There's also <laughs> that. But she, to me, is like the perfect ladies get paid story. Yeah. Uh, and and she knows that I sort of half-jokingly, you know, take credit for it. But the, but the point is she knew she wanted to work on something. She went ahead, got education, was disciplined, and then publicly declared it. And we all cheered. And that's important, too, yeah. that you have a community of people who you can ask for help. Also, yeah. she knew
0: she wasn't going to do it by herself. Or like in such a, it's so funny. And I also feel like she's such a brave not perfect example too. And it's all of that because it's like, you know, it's also like creating spaces where you can declare your ambition and people will not think you're crazy, mm-hmm. right? That's exactly. And it. that was it. Like you guys were like, yeah. right on, right? Like you know what I mean. And and she was like, oh wait, I don't think I'm crazy. Like right. maybe I could do this even though the rest of the world out there was like you can't It's a little dirty. It's
1: a little
0: raw You know, she says this too, and we talk about this. It's like, you know, also this idea that you don't have to be perfect to lead. Right. We're right. always, people make us think that we have to have every single credential. And this is it. Like if people said to you, well, when have you ever used this tactic? Mm-hmm. in your?" Or said to me, well, how, how? what gives you the right to create this movement when you're not a coder? You know, those sometimes, the, those fears sit in our head and they prevent us from making, from change making.
1: Mm-hmm. So I just want to talk about the book really quickly. Um, do you have any top tips or stories uh, that, you, that you, some of your favorites in yeah. the book? Oh, before we get to that, I was going to ask, did you intend <laughs> to write a book or was this inspired by the reaction that your TED talk?
0: I did not about? intend to write okay. a book. And it's so funny. I think like I'll say a thousand as, well, I'm not an author, even though now oh. I have three yeah. books. But no, I was just giving a talk. And I didn't realize the reception and the, and you know, millions of people watched it and I kept getting all these emails or text messages or tweets or insert and like of how it had moved them. And so I was asked to write a book and I actually got an offer, side unseen. Oh, wow. and I said, um, I, I don't, I turned it down because <gasps> I said, I don't know if I want to write a book. Let me go research and see if there's, if it's real. Cause I, If there really is this idea. And so I spent, you know, I spent some time researching and writing a proposal and saying, okay, like, because I didn't want to take something on that I didn't really want to build something Mm -hmm. with. Do you know what I mean? mean, It's a big commitment. It's a big commitment. And I don't think you should write a book unless you really have something to say. And I wasn't sure, even after giving that talk, that I had something to say. Mm -hmm. And and now it's like I've gone into this process in the way that I am just like, this is my life. This is my mission to teach women to be brave, not perfect. Mm-hmm. And and so, so, yeah, I came to that through sitting and thinking and talking to thousands of women, you know, and saying, how has perfectionism held you from achieving your biggest dreams, you know? Can bravery be the biggest joy that you bring to your life? And the answer is yes.
1: Well, and you, I think you made a point uh, where you said it's not about failing. I mean, in the title, it's Brave, Not Perfect, Fear Less, Fail More, and Live Bolder. But I know in the TED Talk, yeah. you, you started out by saying, you know, this isn't about failure. It's about bravery. Yeah. Why that Why that shift for you? Why, why did you feel the need to make that distinction? Because
0: I think we sometimes over-romanticize failure, yes. right? fail, and what's it, Silicon Valley, like break things fast, fail things. Men can fail. Men can fail. I don't know
1: if women can. Yeah.
0: No, and I think, well, there's definitely a cost of failing. I also think to me, we've, I'm very, this book is about everyday bravery. Like we, people always say to me, well, we have Ocasio in Congress now. Aren't we all just brave? You know, or we have six women running for president. Aren't we all just brave? Or we've just seen these powerful men taking I mean, We are seeing bravery on the biggest stage, but I also think that we need everyday bravery. Every woman who's probably listening in the past week has been walking down the street and someone has bumped into her and she has said, I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Everyone this who's listening probably in the past week has said yes to doing something when they really didn't have the time and wanted to say Every person on the phone that's listening has probably in the past month not scheduled a doctor's appointment because they thought it was too selfish or they didn't have the time. Right. right. And so there's things that we do every day on a daily basis where we put others before ourselves, Mm -hmm. where we engage in toxic people pleasing and it eats us up Mm -hmm. inside Mm -hmm. and it makes us less able to be courageous when those big things happen. Mm -hmm and because they're so small you don't really notice them or you don't
1: take them seriously enough mm-hmm. to sit down and address them but over time you know it's a 1000 what, a cuts yeah. whatever the end of that expression is <laughs> uh, exactly uh, right yeah. and we and we call it small acts of resistance um, yeah. because we we talk about perfectionism uh, largely in relation to microaggressions also um, and so and beating yourself up and internalizing in the way that I did. So what's a way that you can resist almost like you know that it's a small act of resistance, but nobody else? Yeah. You know, by you saying, No, I'm not gonna take this project on, yeah. Or I'm not gonna say sorry, that is you in a way. I mean, it's a sense of
0: activism. Yeah, kind of. Totally. And I think so. I think how do you build a bravery mindset to get there? So I think the one thing I say in my book is like practice in perfection. So I'll give you an example that so many of us spend so much time rereading and rewriting our emails mm-hmm. with like 90 emojis and a hundred exc- explanation points. Stop doing that. Send an email with a typo in it. Send an email without an emoji or an explanation <laughs> point. And you will, the t- how you will feel when you send that and nothing bad happens mm-hmm. is like, oh, wow. Like I can be imperfect and the world will not fall apart. Right. And so practice imperfection. You know, the second thing I talk about is like do something you suck at. Mm -hmm. Not for the sake of getting better at it, but just for feeling what it's like to be mediocre. Mm -hmm. Every man I know has something he likes to do. Basketball, tennis, golf. Mm -hmm. And they're horrible at it. But they just like it. Most women I know do not have a hobby or a thing that they like to do that they're not good at.
1: That's me. Right. I, I, I when I've skied when I have skied before, I, I look at it like therapy because I'm terrible at it. But each time I have to get up, and yeah, well, I'm I continue to do it. Yeah, and, and it, it feels good. Well, it feels
0: what horrible. what I mean by it feels good. It's like you compl- You didn't give up before you even tried, right? right. You're not. You're still crying. I mean, like me. Like I do this with yoga. Like I'm still like not running into the yoga studio, but I like it, mm-hmm. and I'm never gonna do a headstand with like whatever they do right yeah. like it's like never I'm, a, I'm gonna be in my you know child's pose yeah, right? yeah. Got like you know headstands all around me yeah but um it's gonna feel good that i showed up right and so so to me do something you suck it and, the, and the, the third thing i think is something that both of us did in our lives is just start just take one step and it might be the big thing about building a company like you know girls who code or ladies get paid or it might just be like you're looking at a really like like dirty closet and you just need to, t- you know, you want it, you've been staring at it for months. Just clean one shelf. Mm-hmm.
1: Marie Kondo. I feel like that was a shout yeah. out there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, thank you so much, Reshma, for being here. Thank you. Uh, I'm so inspired by you and what you've done and the honesty that you've shared your life and, and you being willing to be vulnerable. Uh, I mean, I just think it's so important to support another person just to share. You know, yeah. just to share it. It's really meaningful. Um, so tell us, is the
0: book out? Where can the we book get it? Out? You can get it at your local bookstore and Amazon at Barnes & Noble's at your you know favorite indie bookseller. It's everywhere, hopefully. Nice, yeah. And I want to build a movement. So I hope everybody picks up this book. I hope you read it. I hope you share it with somebody. I hope you start, like, embracing the practices that are in here. I promise you, it will change your life and make you happier. This is not about helping you get a promotion. Mm-hmm. This is about happy, happy, helping you live a happier life. Like, bravery is joy.
1: And then come to Ladies Get Paid because we will help you get that promotion. Done. <laughs> amazing. <laughs> uh, and also, where can we find you, follow you, stay in touch?
0: Rushmasajani.com. I'm on Instagram. I'm on Twitter. I'm on Facebook at ReshmaSajani. Awesome. Come listen to our podcast, Brave Not Perfect. We hear from amazing women like Claire.
1: Thank you all so much for listening. I encourage you to sign up for Ladies Get Paid at ladiesgetpaid.com backslash join uh, so you can receive our newsletter and stay up to date with all of our events, workshops, and next podcast episodes. This is Claire Wasserman and you're listening to Lady Talk. Until next time.